Good morning once again, and praise God for the gathering of his people to hear from him. And I just happened to be a large speaker, <laughs> just a vessel that God produces sound in the sound of Christ, the sound of the gospel so that his people will get some spiritual feeding. Jesus said to Peter after the resurrection, Simon, son of Jonah, do you lovest thou me? And Peter said, of course, in the back and forth, yes, Lord, I love you. And Jesus said, you feed my sheep, feed my lambs with the gospel, that's the feeding. So I stand in front of everyone who is listening and we shall listen to speak of the one thing that is needful, the matter of Christ, the matter of your salvation. Because this life is coming to a close, the curtain on this life is closing. And for us who are in Christ, this curtain has already closed. For our life is hidden with Christ, hidden in Christ, and he shall reveal it when we go to the other side of town, the better side of things. So we want to bring the message of hope, the message of encouragement, and I have a lot of things to say. I'm not feeling the best physically, but... The Lord will sustain me, so I may be a little bit slower than normal, but that's fine. I just want to make it to the end, because I have a lot of things that the Lord would have you to hear. So our message this morning is going to come from the book of Numbers, Numbers 35. Numbers 35, and as per our custom, we read the text. And then we expound the text. Number 35, Moses recorded for us and said, And the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho, saying, Command the children of Israel that they give the Levites cities to go in from the inheritance of their possession. And we shall also give the Levites common land around the cities, they shall have the cities to dwell in, and their common land shall be for their cattle, for their heads, and for all their animals. The common land of the cities which you will give the Levites shall extend from the wall of the city outward a thousand cubits all around. And you shall measure outside the city on the east side two thousand cubits, on the south side two thousand cubits, on the west side two thousand cubits and on the north side, 2,000 cubits. They shall be in the middle. They shall belong to them as common land for the cities. Now among the cities which you will give to the Levites, you shall appoint six cities of refuge, to which a manslayer may flee. And to these you shall add 42 cities. So all the cities you give to the Levites shall be 48. These you shall give with the common land, and the cities which you give shall be from the possession 
of the children of Israel, from the larger tribe you shall give many, from the smaller you shall give few. He shall give some of his cities to the Levites in proportion to the inheritance that each receives. Verse 9, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall appoint cities to be cities of refuge for you, that the manslayer who kills any person accidentally may flee there. They shall be cities of refuge for you from the avenger, that the manslayer may not die until he stands before the congregation in judgment. And of the cities which you give, you shall have six cities of refuge. You shall appoint three cities on this side of the Jordan, and three cities you shall appoint in the land of Canaan, which will be cities of refuge. These six cities shall be for refuge for the children of Israel, for the stranger and for the sojourner among them, that anyone who kills a person accidentally may flee there. But if he strikes him with an iron implement so that he dies, he is a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. And if he strikes him with a stone in the hand by which one could die and he does die, he is a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. Or if he strikes him with a wooden hand weapon, by which one could die, and he does die, he is a murderer, the murderer shall surely be put to death. The avenger of blood himself shall put the murderer to death. When he meets him, he shall put him to death. If he pushes him out of hatred or while lying in wait, hurls something at him so that he dies, or in enmity he strikes him with his hand so that he dies, the one who struck him shall surely be put to death. He is a murderer. The avenger of blood shall put the murderer to death when he meets him. Verse 22. However, if he pushes him suddenly without enmity or throws anything at him without lying in wait or uses a stone by which a man could die, throwing it at him without seeing him so that he dies while he was not his enemy or seeking his harm, then the congregation shall judge between the manslayer and the avenger of blood according to these judgments. So the congregation shall deliver the manslayer from the hand of the avenger of blood, and the congregation shall return him to the city of refuge where he had fled, and he shall remain there until the death of the high priest who was anointed with the holy oil. Verse 26. But if the manslayer at any time goes out of the limits of the city of refuge where he fled, and the avenger of blood finds him outside the limits of his city of refuge, and the avenger of blood kills the manslayer, he shall not be guilty of blood, because he should have remained in his city of refuge until the death of the high priest. But after the death of the high priest, the manslayer may return to the land of his possession, and this thing shall be a statute of judgment to you throughout your generations in all your dwellings. Whoever kills a person, the murderer shall be put to death on the testimony of witnesses. But one witness is not sufficient testimony against a person for the death penalty. Moreover, you shall take no ransom for the life of a murderer who is guilty of death, but he shall surely be put to death. And you shall take no ransom for him 
who has fled to his city of refuge, that he may return to dwell in the land before the death of the priest. So you shall not pollute the land where you are, for blood defiles the land, and no atonement can be made for the land, for the blood that is shed on it, except by the blood of him who shed it. Therefore do not defile the land which you inhabit, in the midst of which I dwell, for I, the Lord, dwell among the children of Israel. That's the word of the Lord. Two minutes of reading. <laughs> we have one title to our message, unfortunately. Only one title. The death of the high priest. The death of the high priest. The whole Bible bears testimony, bears witness of the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ in the salvation of his people. And that is not anything new to anyone who is a regular listener of our messages. And we come here to work more gospel testimony and seek to understand what it is that God was teaching that we need to know from the book of Numbers 35, something that is very important to our eternal standing before him. And whenever God speaks about Jesus, there's always some good news to be found. And there's also some understanding of his prescribed formula of salvation. God has a recipe for salvation as people have recipes for making cookies. God has his own way of making things, salvation, that are acceptable and tasteful to him. And many, unfortunately, are saying many things around this matter and saying, or oh, I subscribe to this position and that position about salvation. But I'm going to say the scriptures will settle matters for us as to the how, the when, and the who of the matter of salvation and what God's actual position is. Because God only has one position because he only has one mediator between him and man, the Lord Jesus Christ. So let us go to the text and begin to work the background because there's much gospel to glean from this text. God, at this point of history, the history of Israel, is preparing his people to go into the promised land as a testimony of the gospel. And so he gave Moses instructions as to what he wanted Israel to be doing and observing when they entered the promised land. And of course, Moses was not going to go into the promised land. 
because he carried the testimony of the inability of the law to save people from their sins. The inability of the law to bring God's people into his inheritance. You cannot enter into God's inheritance of salvation and eternal life by doing the law. In other words, by trying to be a very good person. Okay? You should be a good person, but do not think that is God's way of bringing you into his blessing in Christ Jesus. So Joshua is yet to be introduced, but is about to be introduced to the people of Israel as their next leader. But for now, God is speaking through Moses to his people, and he says, when you get into the promised land, this is what you're going to do for the Levites. The Levites are they who served in the tabernacle, the temple ministry. You're going to give them 42 cities to go in from your own inheritance of land that I'm going to give to the different tribes. Give them some land for their livestock. And in addition to that, God said in verse 6, Now among the cities which you give to the Levites, you shall appoint six cities of refuge, to which a manslayer may flee, and to these you shall add 42 cities. So the Levites have accessible to them 48 cities. So we are introduced to the matter of the city of refuge, which is the subject of our message. And about this matter, in the book of Joshua, when or after Israel had entered in the promised land, God came again through Joshua. And he reminded them of the significance of this matter because it was something very serious to him. Let's go to Joshua 20. Joshua 20. Joshua says, The Lord instructed Joshua, Have the Israelites select the cities of refuge that I told you about through Moses. Anyone who accidentally kills someone can escape there. These cities will be a place of asylum from the avenger of blood. The one who committed manslaughter should escape to one of these cities, stand at the entrance of the city gate, and present his case to the leaders of that city. They should then bring him into the city, give him a place to stay, and let him live there. When the avenger of blood comes after him, they must not hand over to him the one who committed manslaughter, for he accidentally killed his fellow man without premeditation. He must remain in the city until his case is decided by the assembly and the high priest dies. Then the one who committed manslaughter may return home to the city from which he escaped, 
Verse 7, Joshua 20. So they selected Kadesh in Galilee in the hill country of Naphtali, Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, and Kiriath Abba, that is Hebron, in the hill country of Judah. Beyond the Jordan, east of Jericho, they selected Beza in the wilderness on the plain belonging to the tribe of Reuben, Ramoth in Gilead belonging to the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan belonging to the tribe of Manasseh. These were the cities of refuge appointed for all the Israelites and for resident foreigners living among them. Anyone who accidentally killed someone could escape there and not be executed by the avenger of blood, at least until his case was reviewed by the assembly. So the cities of refuge were essentially cities of asylum seekers so that they would not be killed if they had accidentally caused the death of someone. Okay, so that's the whole idea. But let's go back to Numbers 35, where we have more detail of what actually happened there in the city. God gave more instruction in Numbers 35. And we pick it up from verse 9. And then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall appoint cities to be cities of refuge for you that the manslayer who kills any person accidentally may flee there. They shall be cities of refuge for you from the avenger that the manslayer may not die until he stands before the congregation in judgment. So here we are told the purpose of the cities. It was so that the manslayer, the sinner, who had killed a person, would flee there for refuge. Flee there that he may not die until he stands before the congregation of Israel in judgment. So this was to prevent mob justice and preserve the life of the person so that the manslayer would have a chance at a fair trial before the elders of Israel. Verse 13. And the cities of which you give, you shall have six cities of refuge. You shall appoint three cities on this side of the Jordan, and three cities you shall appoint in the land of Canaan, which will be cities of refuge. So there were going to be three cities on this side of the Jordan that were on plain ground for easy visibility. I will speak to that shortly. Why God said we're going to have six cities, three on plain ground and three on the hills. But going back to Joshua, you don't have to go back yourself. I'll read it. Joshua 27 to 8. Joshua chapter 20, verse 7 to 8. Joshua says, So they selected Kadesh in Galilee in the hill 
country of Naphtali, Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, and Kiriath Abba, that is Hebron, in the hill country of Judah. So those three cities are in the hill country. And beyond the Jordan east of Jericho, they selected Beza in the wilderness on the plain belonging to the tribe of Reuben, Ramoth in Gilead belonging to the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan belonging to the tribe of Manasseh. So what you see in the selection of the placement or the location of the cities of refuge was that they were supposed to be accessible, designed for great visibility. The plain and the hillside. (laughs) You can see the things that are on the plain and you can also see the things that are on the hillside. Visibility. Three cities on the hill countries. Why visibility from afar? Why? Because the Christ that we preach and believe for salvation must be made visible and accessible for those who seek salvation. Okay? He must be lifted up on Mount Calvary for us to see him. That's where you see Christ the clearest when he has been lifted up. Because he is the city of refuge. Also, the cities of refuge, Joshua and Moses told us they were to be on the plain. Because the message of the gospel has to be plain. It has to be clear. It has to be simple. Okay? That's how we access Christ. The message of the gospel is not complicated. It's men who are complicating it. Okay? Cities of refuge right on the hilltop or on the plain. Anybody can see that. Okay? So, my burden is to make the message of this city of refuge plain and accessible, not to complicate it with human wisdom according to the traditions of men. Okay, verse 18, Numbers, so verse 15, Numbers 35. God says, These six cities shall be for refuge for the children of Israel, for the stranger, and for the sojourner among them. Then anyone who kills a person accidentally may flee there. And God is saying they were not to be respecters of persons. Even the strangers among them also needed to have the same access as everybody should they got in trouble. So this only respected the sin of the person. And this was according to just grounds and not based on favoritism, not based on race or tribe. 
God is no respecter of persons. So the strangers who were among them, those who were sojourning among them, who were not Israelites, God says, if anything like that happens to them, they also have room to go and seek refuge from the same cities. Okay? But there were some exceptions to this rule. <laughs> there were exceptions to who could benefit from such a clause. Lest people would take advantage and abuse the provision as people are apt to do whenever you give people something free, they will abuse it. God said this in verse 16. But if he strikes him with an iron implement so that he dies, he is a murderer, the murderer shall surely be put to death. And if he strikes him with a stone in the hand by which one could die, and he does die, he is a murderer, the murderer shall surely be put to death. Or if he strikes him with a wooden hand weapon by which one could die, and he does die, he is a murderer, the murderer shall surely be put to death. So three situations were presented before them or pre presented before us that had the same outcome, same verdict, and they all involved premeditation of the act. Striking with an iron implement. Number two, striking with a stone in the hand and striking with a wooden weapon that resulted in death that was considered a homicide and, and the person was a murderer by virtue of the instrument that they used and also by reason of premeditation. So the instrument that they used to commit the murder and also the fact that they had premeditated, they had intent to kill the person, God says such a person must be killed. They are a murderer. They should be put to death. Okay? So this is a different category. Because we are dealing with two categories. And we're going to work gospel testimony from both categories. So this first category of premeditated murder could not benefit from the asylum law because of premeditation. They had premeditated the murder. And again, the point was to govern these people so that there was some escape to people who had accidentally committed a crime and also protecting people from the rascals who would go about on a killing spree as we find them in our society these days. They just go out, go to the mall, and they start shooting people. Those guys would not have been protected by such. Okay. But God was preaching the gospel in this. 
His chief interest was not governing the nation of Israel necessarily, but he was rolling out. He was bringing the script of Christ. And that is where, unfortunately, many miss the point. They end up with just moralism from it. Or what can we as society benefit from such an arrangement? But this is not for the benefit of society. This was given for the sake of salvation of God's people. Okay? So everything here in this conversation is being ordered around the person and work of Christ. And if I had time, I could do actually five messages from this same text. Okay, but I'm going to be greedy and try to squeeze, squeeze everything in one. But let us keep working the text. Verse 19. The avenger of blood himself shall put the murderer to death. When he meets him, he shall put him to death. So God identified a person whom he called the avenger of blood. And this would very likely have been a close relative of the deceased person. And God says, if there was a homicide, a premeditated murder, there was no time to mess around. The avenger of blood would put the murderer to death when he meets the murderer. Wherever he meets them, kill them. In other words, there was no mercy to be shown them. And God repeats what he had said earlier in verses 16 to 18. In respect of intentional murder, and says verse 20. If he pushes him out of hatred, or while lying in wait, hurls something at him so that he dies, or in enmity he strikes him with his hand so that he dies, the one who strikes him shall surely be put to death. He is a murderer, the avenger of blood shall put the murderer to death when he meets him. So, the matter has been repeated for emphasis. And it may sound like I've gone through this almost four or five times already. But that's not me. That's how God wrote the text. (laughs) God is the master of repetition. Okay? You could summarize the things that he said in maybe ten lines or so. But God is a master of repetition. Okay? He wants to drive home his message. The message that is in Numbers, he already preached in Genesis. He could have stopped in Genesis. There's enough gospel in Genesis for us to know who Christ is and what he has done by the teaching of the Holy Spirit. But God continues to repeat things. And so when you hear me repeating things, redundancy is God's business, okay? (laughs) That's just how it's done. And now to the repetition of the first case, where the murderer was, where the murder was accidental. God repeats that again. (laughs) God says in verse 22, however, 
if he pushes him suddenly without enmity or throws anything at him without lying in wait or uses a stone by which a man could die, throwing it at him without seeing him so that he dies while he was not his enemy or seeking his harm, then the congregation shall judge between the manslayer and the avenger of blood according to these judgments, according to the following judgments. And this is how this case was going to be decided. Verse 25. So the congregation shall deliver the manslayer from the hand of the avenger of blood, and the congregation shall return him to the city of refuge where he had fled, and he shall remain there until the death of the high priest who was anointed with the holy oil. And remember Joshua 20, verse 4 and 5. The one who committed manslaughter should escape to one of these cities, stand at the entrance of the city gate, and present his case to the leaders of that city. They should bring him into the city, give him a place to stay, and let him live there. When the avenger of blood comes after him, they must not hand over to him the one who committed manslaughter, for he accidentally killed his fellow man without premeditation. So the elders of the city of refuge were to deliver the manslayer from the hands of the avenger of blood. They were not to give him to be killed. That's very wonderful stuff because the man is guilty. And God says, when the avenger of blood comes for this guy, you are not to deliver the man to death. Even though he is guilty of his sin, you are not. By virtue of being in the city of refuge, God says you are immune to condemnation. You are not to be delivered. It's already known that you're a sinner. God knows. He already said it. He knows there is a manslayer there. But God says he is not to be delivered to death. They were to give him a place to stay and let him live there. So the city of refuge granted the person immunity from death. Pending trial. But this was not an open-ended immunity. There were conditions that surrounded it. And God made some stipulations that had to be observed. He said, And the congregation shall return him to the city of refuge where he had fled, and he shall remain there until the death of the high priest who was anointed with the holy oil. The manslayer, <laughs> having been granted asylum in the city of refuge, would remain there until when? Until the death of the high priest who was anointed with the holy oil. That's very specific. Now, that is taking a different turn. And we have to ask some questions and say, 
What has the death of the high priest have anything to do with the case of a man who just slayed someone to death? What is the association between the sin of this person and the death of the high priest? In what way, in other words, does the death of the high priest answer to the situation that has reason for the manslayer? But the manslayer is in trouble. But someone God says, there is a condition that I put in place that will answer to the situation, to the problem. God says, yes, that is how it is going to be resolved. And there's no other way, there's no other provision. Pay attention to the details. God continued and said, verse 26, but if the manslayer at any time goes outside of the limits of the city of refuge where he fled, and the avenger of blood finds him outside the limits of his city of refuge, and the avenger of blood kills the manslayer, he shall not be guilty of blood, because he should have remained in his city of refuge until the death of the high priest. But after the death of the high priest, the manslayer may return to the land of his possession. God says, once the manslayer had found refuge in the city of refuge, he should remain within the city limits, remain within the boundaries of the city. And this we also find a borrowing in the asylum law that if one applies for protection through asylum in a foreign country on account of some persecution on their person in their home country, then they are not allowed to go back to the country of origin. Because doing so would cause them to forfeit their asylum protection until the situation or the government that persecuted them in their home country has been removed from power. They should stay in the city limits of their country of asylum or visit only such countries that would not present any danger to them. And God says the asylum seeker in the person of the manslayer must remain within the boundaries of the city of refuge if they should remain safe. But what would happen if they breached the boundaries? Like, I feel like I need to go to the mall because there is a cell. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, what do you, Black Friday is coming soon. And you are in the city of refuge. What are you supposed to do? Are you going to miss on your 70 inch TV at Best Buy? <laughs> God says, if you go outside of the limits of the city, 
before the death of the high priest, the avenger of blood could lay his hands on you and kill you and there would be no offense caused by the avenger of blood in such a situation. And God's saying, as long as the high priest was alive, they should remain within the city limits. But after the death of the high priest who was anointed with oil, they could leave the city of refuge and go back to the land of their possession. And when that happens, they are forever immune yeah, to the avenger of blood. And that means the avenger of blood would also know that the high priest had died and thus had no more just or legal grounds to condemn the person. <laughs> so what did that say? It's saying the death of the high priest somehow made reconciliation and peace terms for the manslayer with the avenger of blood. Because the issue here is between the manslayer and the avenger of blood. And God says the issues between these two is settled outside of them. It is settled by the death of some other guy who is the high priest, not just a high priest, but one who is anointed with oil. That's the conversation. That's what you need to understand and we're still building our gospel testimony. Okay? Keep listening. Verse 29. And these things shall be a statute of judgment to you throughout your generations in all your dwellings. Also, whoever kills a person, the murderer shall be put to death on the testimony of witnesses, but one witness is not sufficient testimony against a person for the death penalty. So God introduced the law of witness. Okay? He said, a person cannot just be put to death on the testimony of one person. We need more evidence. We need more witnesses to say that whatever is being said is actually true. So we see the same law in Deuteronomy 19.15, where Moses says, so there has to be more than one witness to an accusation for the death penalty to go through. There's some serious gospel. Let us work it. We haven't even started preaching the gospel yet. We've just been getting you to understand what's going on with the story. So what's going on here? The elect sinner is the one who is in the picture of the manslayer. You're the one who is in trouble. And there's a category for you. You're in the category of one who finds refuge in the city. And according to the law, the soul that sins must die. And that was speaking to more than just the physical 
death by speaking to condemnation. The soul that sins, it must be condemned. But this was all set up to teach bigger things of our salvation by the Lord Jesus. So God says, as soon as the man had committed the homicide, he found himself in a situation that needed redemption, that needed justification. When you sin, even just the one sin for one second, you are already in trouble. You don't have to have committed five murders. Just the one sin. Just as what happened with Adam. Just the one seemingly simple sin of eating from a tree was enough to cause trouble for all of us. So the man found himself in need of redemption, in need of justification. He needed to be saved from the wrath of the avenger of blood. And God said, this is what we have to happen depending on the case, depending on the intent. If the person was proved to be a manslayer, he could avail himself to the protection of the city of refuge. And in this city of refuge, he had access to all that he needed to sustain his life. He brought nothing to it. When you are in trouble like that and the avenger of blood is on your heels, you have no time to be packing things to seek for refuge. So he brought nothing to it. And that to say what? Salvation by grace. He came to the city with nothing and yet was able to sustain his life from the provisions that were freely given him in the city. And yet, at this point in his life, he did not have freedom to go outside of the city limits lest he met with the avenger of blood and he lost his life. So what does the man need to happen if he should ever leave the city of refuge in peace without fearing for his life? If you should ever live this life in peace when you die, what do you need to leave these city limits of our own life here? Because a lot of people say, as long as someone dies, then they go to heaven. <laughs> no, people don't go to heaven just because they die. Some condition must be fulfilled on their behalf. Some transaction has to happen for them. Okay? God says that could only happen at the death of the high priest anointed with oil. What does that mean? It means the manslayer was seeking justification. He was seeking forgiveness of his sins. He was seeking for the murder charges to be dropped, to be cleared. The manslayer was guilty of his sin. But he cannot be condemned to death because God has a provision for him. God has set in place a provision to happen at a particular time 
at a particular time and by a very specific person who is qualified in a very particular way at the time by the person who is qualified. Because there were many priests in Israel. The Levites, all of them pretty much served as priests. But there was one particular one. There was only one priest. Only one high priest. There could only be one high priest. There could be 200, 400 priests. But only one high priest. And God says, it is when the high priest anointed with oil, the high priest who alone entered into the Holy of Holies to make atonement for sin on the day of atonement. But he alone was qualified to enter into the presence of God and not die with the sacrifice, with the blood of the sacrifice. And God says, when this high priest dies, on the day that he dies, he removes the sentence of condemnation that is, or that was on the manslayer. When this high priest dies, the manslayer needs justification, as I said. And he does not have justification from his sin until the high priest is given over to death. The man knows that he has hope. He is looking to something. A person who is looking to something has hope. Especially if that something is the death of the high priest. He is looking to hear the news about the health condition of the high priest. If he had an iPhone and internet <laughs> and had Google, guess what? He'll be Googling every day. He's checking to see if the high priest is dead. He is not much interested in the high priest as long as he lives. A high priest who is alive is not helpful to his situation as he stands condemned in the seat of refuge. Because the Jesus who does not come and die cannot help a sinner. Without death, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. That's what that is saying. There has to be death. There has to be a shedding of blood. So that's what the manslayer is looking to. A very healthy high priest is not good news to him. But that just means more years in the city of refuge without seeing his wife. And in the time of his stay in the city of refuge, the manslayer will hear a lot of news from the land of his possession. He will hear news about his family. Because one could be in there for five years, ten, even fifteen years, depending on the health of the high priest. So you hear about his friends, you hear about his neighbors, you hear about his dogs having new and cute puppies. 
you hear about his children getting married and his livestock multiplying but that is not very useful news to him that's not good news it's not good news to him it does not help his situation this particular news that he needs that makes him joyful that makes him happy that will set him loose that will expand the boundaries of his freedom news that allows him to go back to his family the death of the high priest and if he is a prayer warrior <laughs> this is what he is fasting and praying to happen all day and all night he's getting up at 3 in the morning he's praying and fasting that the high priest dies the high priest must die and soon and the high priest who is coughing with covid is not helpful to him he wants a dead high priest because god says when the high priest dies the man shall be justified from all his sin the charges of his sin shall be dropped immediately the man will be justified immediately not later not later not not as not later as some people claim immediately as soon as the high priest dies the man is a free man because that was the only condition of his justification and what is that saying it is saying the lord jesus he is the one who is in the picture of the high priest the lord jesus is the high priest anointed with the holy spirit because the oil was representing the holy spirit so the lord jesus is he who is pictured in the testimony of the high priest who dies and god is saying he alone at his death is the condition of our justification from all our sins and this justification happened at a particular time god said it when he dies not when jesus was born but when jesus died there's no way to say that jesus accomplished redemption but he did not justify you can say that that is a man imposed philosophy that is not in keeping with the scriptures i did not add anything to the text god declares to us that the justification of the man who was in the seat of refuge happened at the death of the high priest anointed with oil so what has god done for this man who was in the seat of refuge you have to think about the transaction god is transacting gospel things here what has god done the man in the city of refuge is still guilty of his sin because god says if you come out of that city before the death of the high priest you're going to get condemned you're going to die but if something happens you're going to find yourself in a state where you won't be condemned anymore so what has happened in between 
God has imputed the sin of the manslayer to the high priest. And what else? God has imputed the death of the high priest to the manslayer as righteous, as righteousness. So the high priest became guilty of the sins of the man. Okay? The high priest became guilty of the sins of the man and the death of the high priest became the redemption prize and the justification of the man. The death of the high priest became what bought the freedom and the forgiveness of the sins of the man who was in the seat of refuge. So what we see is that redemption and justification happen simultaneously. And this is what redemption means. Redemption means a setting free or a loosing, loosing, making something loose, setting something free by way of payment of a price. So the man in the city of refuge was made loose. He was set free by the payment that came through the blood of the high priest. So we were redeemed and justified simultaneously at the death of Christ. It has to happen that way. That's how it works. Okay? So now, the manslayer is a righteous person. He's a righteous person. He can walk out of the city boundaries and go back to his family and not be condemned by the avenger of blood. So, what in the gospel context is the manslayer saying is happening at the death of the high priest? Let's go to Romans 8, verse 1 to 4. I'm sure the manslayer have been lived in the city of refuge for 10 years, 15 years, is in the same conundrum as Paul in Romans 7, where Paul says, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Because that's his question. He needs someone to come and deliver him from that sin. Who shall deliver you from your sin? You are in the same conundrum as the man and you have the same solution as the man. And this is how God answered it for Paul. Romans 8 verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Walking according to the flesh means walking according to works righteousness. It is not saying, if you are cursing, that's walking in the flesh. That's not what it means. It means to walking, thinking as if you can get justification from something that you do. Justification from your own works of the law. That is walking in the flesh. But walking according to the Spirit is walking according to the knowledge of the redemption and justification that came by the death of the high priest. That's the distinction. Okay? But here it is. Verse 2. 
For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. The death of the high priest is what set the manslayer free from the law of sin and death. That was in the testimony of the avenger of blood. The man was in Christ because he was in the city of refuge. (laughs) You do not get into the city of refuge if you are not in Christ. But even with that, you still have issues that need to be resolved for you by the death of Christ himself. Yes, we were elect, but we still had issues that needed to be answered by the coming of Christ and especially by the death of Christ. So the city of refuge also pictured the Lord Jesus Christ. It also pictured the New Testament in this. That once you are in the New Testament, which is in the blood of the high priest, you do not go back to the law. You do not go back to Moses. Because Moses will condemn you. You have to remain in the safety of the city of refuge where all provisions are given you freely. Okay? So even though the elect had fallen in Adam, they still remained elect. God protected us by his forbearance and not imputing our sins to us as to condemn and judge us to hell. He was waiting for the arrival, for the coming of the high priest, the Lord Jesus, who was anointed with the Holy Spirit. And when he showed up, He accomplished our justification. That's what he came to do. He came and justified us. When he died, because he made the payment that set us loose from the condemnation that came to us by way of Adam. Still in Romans 8, verse 3 and 4. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us or in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. So what the law could not do, the law could not save a sinner, could not help you get saved. So God's solution was the sending of his son, the Lord Jesus, who did not have the same issues as we have. The Lord Jesus did not have weakness of flesh by reason of having no sin. He was holy and righteous. So in his death, he met the righteous requirement of the law. For us, he fulfilled it. So, All that to say, the death of the high priest in Numbers 35 fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law for the manslayer. Someone had to die. So the manslayer or the high priest 
if the manslayer dies, there's no justification. <laughs> Someone else has to die. And God says it is the high priest. If the high priest dies, then there is justification. That is what set him free. Okay? One cannot be set free from prison who is not justified. You have to be justified. If it is our prison system, you have to go and do your time. Or if there was something wrong with the way the case was handled, you still have to go back to court. And they have to go and retry the case. And if you are found not guilty, then you are going to be set free. But in any case, there still has to be justification for you to get out of prison. And that to say, the justification of all the elect of all time happened where? Does anybody know now? <laughs> it happened at the death of the high priest who was anointed with the oil of gladness on Mount Calvary that is in the fullness of time God sent forth his son born of a woman born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. Yeah? Christ and him crucified. This is God's message. Christ and him crucified because that is what was pictured in the death of all the sacrifices that we find in the Old Testament. They were all pointing to that particular event. Okay. But let us work some more understanding. Because you're going to have to explain this to someone. So I have to give you all the details. Who is the avenger of blood? We said earlier that they were the relative, close relative of the person who had died. But in the gospel sense, what do they represent? They represent the law. Because it is the law that condemns a sinner to death. It condemns everyone who sins. It is the law. That's the function of the law. But the law knows something that a lot of preachers do not know. And people who claim to be Christians. The avenger of blood representing the law knows this. That once the high priest has died, there's no more condemnation for the manslayer. They know that. The, the avenger of blood knows that it is, he has no more power over the manslayer as soon as the high priest, high, high priest dies. The manslayer is not living anymore under the fear of condemnation by the law because they died to the law in the death of the high priest. They died to the condemnation of the avenger of blood in the death of the high priest. This is how you are supposed to think about your own salvation. How to think about how you relate and stand before God. What do you look at when it comes to your own salvation? A lot of people will draw you to your works, to your repentance, to you getting better and better, to you giving money to the church, to you stopping this sin and that sin. But that's not the conversation. The conversation is, where did the payment happen? 
what did God say about it? Yeah? So the manslayer is not living in the fear of condemnation anymore because they died to the condemnation through the death of the high priest. The manslayer died in and with the high priest in union with the high priest as we died and were justified with the Lord Jesus Christ in union with him. Somehow, this is what God has done. God has caused the high priest to represent the manslayer so that the death of the high priest was accounted to the manslayer for his righteousness. Do you see the connection? God has connected the two. It is a God transaction. So the high priest paid for the sins of the manslayer in his own death. That is very clear to me. And people can go with the confessions of faith. Yeah, about the law still binding on the conscience of the redeemed and some will say, oh, use the law for progressive sanctification and all kinds of foolishness. No, I died to the law through the death of Christ that I may be married to him, right, who died and resurrected. Now, that part is clear. But God says something else in addition to the instruction that he gave, to the matter of the ransom. Let's hear this. He made stipulations as to what could not happen in the intervening period between entrance into the city of refuge and when the high priest died. God says, right in between this time, I'm going to tell you about something that you cannot do. Verse 31, hear what he says. Verse 31. Moreover, you shall take no ransom for the life of a murderer who is guilty of death, but he shall surely be put to death. So God says no ransom. No money. A Jeff Bezos with his billions cannot pay his way out of prison. He cannot justify himself by something that he brings, his own money, his own labor of whatever he brings to God. God says no satisfaction to be given in exchange for the life of a murderer who is guilty of death. In other words, they could not buy their way out to justification from their sin. I mean, politicians do that all the time. They buy their way out of trouble. <laughs> but they cannot do that with God. Not by anything that any man could give in their palace. God says there's no hope for them. No hope for such a one. So that's the first scenario. Scenario number two. In the case of the manslayer, God said, verse 32, and you shall take no ransom for him who has fled to his city of refuge, that he may return to dwell in the land before the death of the priest. <laughs> See the amount of repetition. 
to the death of the priest. God really wants to make sure that this point is understood. There's no transaction that God accepts in terms of salvation that is not tied to the death of the high priest. Okay? God says, even for the manslayer, they could not do anything to buy their freedom back. They could not do anything to be justified for their sin. And that is very important gospel testimony. And what is God saying? God is saying there's no condition that a person who is a sinner does or can do in all of eternity to get justified from the sin before him. Not their faith. Not their repentance. Not their sorrowing. Not their tears. Not their misery. Because God does not justify because of your misery. God does not justify because you are poor or you are rich. God justifies only one way. There's only one prescribed exchange that causes justification. The death of the high priest. The death of the high priest. And that is what Jesus was saying. When he said, what shall a man give? Why shall it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose their own soul? Or why shall a man give in exchange for their soul? Why shall a man give? And people say, oh, you just have to be a good person. No. There has to be an exchange. Why shall a man give in exchange is the death of the high priest. That's your confession of righteousness, the death of the high priest. The manslayer could not go back and dwell in the land before the death of the high priest, before the death of the high priest. Okay? The death of the high priest. So it is impossible then for us to claim to preach the gospel and then dilly-dally around what Jesus actually accomplished for the manslayer. You and I are the manslayer, as I said. We have murdered many people intentionally and unintentionally. <laughs> so how do we escape? Only by the death of the high priest. On the day that he died on Mount Calvary, he justified us from all our sins. He cleared the slate. There's no sin to be found in the account of anyone who belongs to Christ because he died. That's what he came to do, to clear the debt. It's not in your account. You may live it, you may experience it, you may suffer some consequences just here and now, but those consequences are not the condemnation of your sin. Okay, so we have to say, when Christ came, he justified his people from all their sins. You cannot play games with that. Your faith is not what causes the charges to be cleared. God says, when he dies, that's when the charges are cleared. Not when you believe. I'm going to work that as we close the message. So before we come to an end, 
we need to revisit something that God said about not having a ransom for the murderer. Remember, there's no ransom for the murderer and there's no ransom for the manslayer. Yeah? I need you to pay attention to what I'm about to say. Because it is not that obvious. And for us to get the point, we need to be reminded of the story of Barabbas and Jesus. Hear what God said here before we go to Barabbas. Verse 31 of of, um, Numbers 35. Moreover, you shall take no ransom for the life of a murderer who is guilty of death, but he shall surely be put to death. So what was Barabbas just by way of remembrance? What was Barabbas guilty of? Mark 15, 7 says, and there, and there was one named Barabbas who was chained with his fellow rebels. They had committed murder in the rebellion. So Barabbas, we know that he was a thief and he had caused some political unrest. And chief among all of his sins was that he had committed murder. He was a murderer. So he was in chains. A notorious thief committed murder and in prison and on death row. And Barabbas in this state could not give anything for himself to get out of prison because of Numbers 35. Because remember, Barabbas is a Jew. So this clause affects him. He cannot escape death. Because of Numbers 35. The high priests of Israel know about this. So the question then is, how did Barabbas, a murderer, escape? Because he did escape death. Because he found a high priest. What was the exchange that happened on the day that Jesus died? Barabbas found a high priest. God had given Barabbas a ransom. Not by way of money, but a God-approved ransom. A God-approved redemption. And a God-approved high priest in the person of Jesus to stand for him. He found one to take his place. Because that's the problem that you and I have as sinners. We need to find the one person who took our place, who can take our place to make payment for our sins. And Barabbas found Christ. So what does that mean? It means an exchange happened between Barabbas and Jesus. And people will be looking for God to tell them that, oh, in verse 15, and then God exchanged Barabbas for Jesus. I'm like, It's already obvious. It's there. It's there in the text. Because Jesus is taken. And the people are asked, whom do you want to be set free? This Jesus or Barabbas? And the people say, give us Barabbas. (laughs) What shall I do with this Jesus? Oh, kill him. That's what you do to the high priest. He's supposed to die. The high priest must die. So Jesus became guilty of the sin of Barabbas. And what sin was that? Murder. 
If Jesus has to stand in the place of Barabbas, it means he has to assume the guilty of Barabbas, the sin of Barabbas. And what was it? Murder. So Jesus has to go on the cross, guilty of murder. Jesus is now the murderer. Jesus is now the murderer because he has stood in the place of the murderer. Pay attention to that. Because people don't want to think about what actually is happening here. Jesus became guilty of murder by imputation of Barabbas' sin. And again, Jesus is the high priest. And this is what Barabbas needs, the death of the high priest anointed with oil. Because that's the only way that he can buy his freedom. That's the only way that he can be justified from all his sins. So what happens to Barabbas? Did Barabbas not go home? Barabbas went home. Did he not get out of the city of refuge where he was? Yes, he did. And that is to say Barabbas was elect. Because that's the only way he could be set free in the place of Christ Jesus. So Jesus is now guilty of murder. Follow my line of thought. Jesus is now guilty of murder. Is he not? Did the man in the city of refuge make a decision for him to be covered by the death of the high priest? Did he choose and invite the high priest to die for him and say, Oh, I choose you, high priest of Israel. I make you my... (laughs) My Lord and Savior, did the manslayer ask God to impute his sins to the high priest? Did he ever make that conversation and ask God if that could be possible? Let's go to Barabbas. Did Barabbas ask Jesus if he could take his place? Because remember, in much of the trial, Jesus was not even talking. And that was infiliating the high priests. They were wanting Jesus to say a lot of things, but Jesus was just like a lamb to the slaughter. And yet he was 100% in control of everything. Did Jesus ask Barabbas if it was okay for him to die in his place? No. Why? Because salvation is all of God's doing. It is 100% of grace. So he doesn't need your permission. It doesn't need you to agree with it. It is done independently of you, but for you. So to say righteousness cannot be imputed before faith is not faithful teaching, because righteousness is in the person who represented you. When he shows up, when he dies, God is making the transaction of your freedom. From prison. Yeah? If sin was imputed to the high priest without your consent, without your faith, without your prayer, what stops God from imputing righteousness to you and to all the elect before they are born? Christ died 
for every sin that you have committed and that you are committing and that you shall commit before you showed up. So what is stopping God from doing the same thing and accounting you as righteous before you show up? You are not that important that you should have to show up for God to then say, oh yeah, Cora is here now, let me see if I can start that imputation process. No. What has happened is she was ignorant of her righteousness before God. Faith and repentance do not cause for our sins to be removed. They evidence that when the high priest came and died, he removed our sins. He put away our sins. He justified us when he showed up. We were just not there in person, in the physical person, but we were there by names because we were elect in him, we were in Christ from before the foundation of the world. So we died with him. When you die with the high priest, guess what? You are justified in the death of the high priest. Okay? So the man who was in the city of refuge heard about the death of the high priest. At some point, he heard about it. Someone brought the news to him and said, guess what? The high priest died. (laughs) And that person was a preacher. Any person who brings that message to God's people to say, to give testimony of the justification of someone who is in Christ by the death of Christ is a preacher. So the preacher brought what news? He brought the news about the death of the high priest with no conditions. He only declared the death of the high priest as the good news. He did not come and say, uh, this year I think you're going to find your husband. <laughs> oh, this year in Christ, oh, man of God, uh, speak a blessing on me. You're going to get your boars. Foolishness. That's not good news. That does not answer to any of your real issues before God. But if I bring the news of the death of the high priest, that's good news. Because you know, and knowing yourself, and your battle, your burden with sin, and knowing that this matter is already decided for you, that's wonderful news. Okay? So my point is the hearing and the faith of the manslayer did not cause his justification. Even if he had stayed two more weeks or two more months in the city of refuge, not having heard the news, or even in unbelief, he was still a justified man. That's what God said. Because the justification is not in you agreeing with it. It's in what God is saying. Okay. At some point, God will see to it that you agree with him. <laughs> That's why we preach the gospel. Okay? Verse 31. Well, we're almost done. If you can, yeah, actually, yeah. But if you can believe a preacher. <laughs> Verse 31 of Numbers 35. God says again, 
Moreover, he shall take no ransom for the life of a murderer who is guilty of death, but he shall surely be put to death. So remember what I said. Jesus has taken the sin of Barabbas. He has taken our sins. So Jesus has become the murderer. And God says, for one who falls under the category of a murderer, what must happen to them? So Jesus must die. Jesus must die. Not for his sins, but for the sins of his people. But he has taken them in such a way that he owns them as his. So he must die. He has to die as a murderer. Okay? So there's no ransom for Jesus. God says no ransom for the murderer. No ransom for Jesus. Remember when Jesus was praying, he said, Lord, if it were possible, Father, if it were possible, take this cup away from me. He's looking for a ransom. God says, no. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. There could not be a ransom for Jesus. But there was a ransom for Barabbas. Okay? Jesus has no ransom. He must be put to death. Barabbas can be forgiven, was forgiven, but Jesus could not be forgiven. Jesus must pay. Okay? It doesn't matter your sin. If you're in Christ, all your sins were forgiven. They were paid for. Okay? But Christ, Jesus, standing as the murderer by imputation of Barabbas' sin, of your sin, of my sin, he had to be put to death. Verse 33. So you shall not pollute the land where you are, for blood defiles the land, and no atonement can be made for the land, for the blood that is shed on it, except by the blood of him who shed it. I had someone who was asking me about this. We had listened to a prime message that I did, and I had not gotten this far in the message, so I just want to address this and connect it to what we just said. Because it is saying the same thing. No atonement can be made for the land, for the sin that was committed on it, except by the blood of him who shed it. Okay? Now, to understand what is being said, we have to ask a question. Could Barabbas make atonement for his sin of murder by his own death? No, he could not. Could you make atonement for all your sins that you've committed? No, you cannot. But God says, Barabbas must make atonement by the shedding of his blood. The manslayer must make atonement by the shedding of his own blood. And yet, that blood is not enough to make atonement. So what is God actually saying? How does this work? This is how it works. Someone has to assume the sin of Barabbas and become guilty of it. So Christ stepped in, the high priest stepped in, identified with the sin of Barabbas and that of the manslayer, in union with Barabbas, in union with the manslayer, in union with all his elect sinners, representing Barabbas, representing the manslayer, representing you who are in Christ. And God is saying, we are the ones who should have died to make atonement. But our death cannot 
fulfill the righteous requirement of salvation. So the Christ who comes and stands in our place, his blood is the one that makes atonement. Christ is the one whose blood has to be shed. As I said, Christ could not be forgiven. No ransom for him. Yeah? But he was our ransom. And when he died, he redeemed, he justified, he made atonement for all our sins. He cleaned our land. <laughs> he did. And so, that's God's message. Justified at the death of the high priest, anointed with oil. Okay? All right, we are done. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we bless you. We thank you for these many words that have been spoken. We pray that if your people would get one thing clear, it is that we were justified at the death of the high priest who was anointed with oil. When he died, we were set free. The avenger of blood could not bring the death sentence on us anymore. We thank you for the grace that you have demonstrated to us and towards us by saving us whilst we're still sinners. Christ Jesus, for whom no ransom could be taken to be delivered from death, but died for us all who are his people, that we may have a standing before you. And faith coming by the preaching of the gospel and the Holy Spirit to cause us to look again to the death of the high priest. Because that's the good news for your people. We honor you, glorify you. Be with us in our going in and our going out. We're praying for all those who are connected and listening to the message. Lord, may you show them the truth of what you have given me to share. May you teach them and also continue to teach me. And grant repentance where we have erred. We thank you all things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, good people. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you soon. Keep praying for me. Okay? Keep praying for me. We'll talk soon. God bless.